Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 206. And I'm really excited about the topic of today's show because Molly interviews our good friend and longtime Perpetual Traffic friend, Mike Rhodes from WebSavvy, websavvy.com.au, about some of the things we've been discussing here in the last few weeks of the Perpetual Traffic Podcast about the levels of awareness of your customers and how to approach them. Molly and I discussed this at length in last week's show in episode 205, as well as Brett and I talked about this a bit on episode 202. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, definitely go back and review them. What we're doing here in the next couple of weeks and months is going to be referring back to this core concept quite a bit because it's something that's really important when you're approaching cold traffic, especially on Facebook. Today, Mike is going to be discussing how he does it through Google. And Facebook and Google, if you listen to episode 202 with Brett, work so well together as two of the biggest platforms in digital advertising. So if you're advertising on Facebook and Instagram and maybe thinking about hiring tier 11, definitely think about hiring Mike Rhodes and or Brett Curry for the Google side of the equation because all that traffic that you're going to generate from Facebook, you're going to want to scoop a lot of that up through paid search on Google. And Molly actually talks about an example in the show here today about how Digital Marketer looked at eye tracking software that actually showed people searching for certain terms after they discovered it on Facebook or in the ads and paid ads in digital media. So super important concept here for you to wrap your head around. And definitely you want to be able to rank or at least have paid search that ranks high through your predominant trade search terms or your brand search terms. So that's just one aspect of what Mike will be talking about here. But he really does talk about breakthrough advertising quite a bit. So Breakthrough advertising and the pivotal concept in that book, and the one that Eugene Schwartz is really known for, is the five levels of awareness. I think it bears reiteration here for all of us because it is so important to think of your traffic as segmented based upon their level of awareness of either a problem, a solution, or your solution to a problem or a desire. So, in chapter two of Breakthrough Advertising, this is the crux of the entire book. Now, chapter one, as well as the chapters after that, are tremendous as well, but this is the thing that Schwartz is known best for. There are five levels of awareness. Just to reiterate and just to sort of refresh your memory on this, I don't think we can go through this enough. The first one 
And also Schwartz does this in reverse, which doesn't really make sense in the book to me, but I'm going to do it in the way that I think is most relevant to how you would approach cold traffic. The first level is the completely unaware market. These are people that are, well, first off, it's the most difficult. It's the most challenging to approach. And this is what at tier 11, we spend a tremendous amount of time trying to crack the code of cold, unaware, or maybe even problem aware, which we'll get into in just a second, this kind of traffic, because it is the most challenging to pull in with a Facebook ad. Really challenging to pull in through the Google Display Network as well as what Mike will be talking about here on today's show. So the unaware market is the prospect is either not aware of his desire or his need, or he won't honestly admit it to himself without being led into it by your ad. Or the need is so general and amorphous, and I'm reading this directly from Breakthrough Advertising, by the way, that it resists being summed up in a single headline, or it's a secret that just can't be verbalized. That's a lot from Mr. Schwartz, but basically it is a prospect who is completely unaware that they have a problem or maybe that they have a desire. And Mike is going to be talking about this here today, and we'll talk about this in future episodes, how we approach this type of traffic entertainment is a very good way to get an unaware market aware of either a desire they didn't know they had or a problem that maybe they had just sort of pushed to the side. This is a challenge. Uh, the Harmon Brothers, their videos, just Google Harmon Brothers videos. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about here with a lot of the types of videos that they do. They entertain to pull people in. You don't have to go to that level as the Harmon Brothers, but you know, keeping in mind that your unaware market is probably the largest portion of your market, depending on what your product is. And Molly talks about this a little bit more on episode 205. This is the challenge of the market. So Mike talks about this with regard to Google, and we'll be discussing it at length in future Perpetual Traffic podcast episodes. The next level of traffic is the problem aware so they're either problem or desire aware market. So from breakthrough advertising, again, the prospect has not a desire, but a need. He recognizes the need immediately, but he doesn't yet realize the connection between the fulfillment of that need and your product. So they might be problem desire aware at this level. They know that they have a problem. They just have no idea of what the solution potentially is. So that is another one. If you have a solution for our problem or desire aware market, that's a much easier potential sale to cold traffic, believe it or not. As long as you present it to them in a novel way and you get their attention and get them to understand, yeah, all right, you've got this problem. You've got this thing that you want. Here's a potential solution. You can show that in a great video ad, for example, or maybe some good ad copy. This is slightly easier to approach, but still challenging. So sort of working these in reverse, although we're sort of working them from cold all the way to hot here, that problem desire aware market is the second level of traffic. The third level of traffic, as you may have guessed from a previous one, is that this is the solution-aware market. So from Schwartz, again, the prospect either knows or recognizes immediately that he wants what the product does, but he doesn't yet know that there is a product, your product, that will do it for them. The next level is your solution-aware, in essence, or you know potentially your product-aware. But at this point, they are aware that solutions exist. Okay, the fourth level of traffic, they are solution aware of your product. So they know that your product actually exists. So here your prospect isn't completely aware of all your product does. He still needs some more convincing, but he hasn't yet been told exactly why he should buy it or how much better it is than the other competitors. So this is somebody that's really, really close to purchasing. You know, from an e-com ad amplifier perspective, this is probably somebody that's in like the add to cart or the level four, level three sort of levels. They've viewed the product. They just haven't sort of been pushed over the edge to actually purchase it quite yet. But they know your product exists to solve either the desire or the problem that they were aware of on either level three, two, or probably not on one because they're unaware completely at level one. And then the last level of traffic is the most aware. The customer knows of your product, knows what it does, and knows that he wants it. And chances are he's probably just looking for some kind of discount, 
something, a coupon, something like that, just to push him over the edge, some kind of deal for him to make the purchase. So those are the five levels of traffic. I would highly encourage you to do some more study on this. We're actually reading this book as a book club inside Tier 11, as uh, our director of media buying, Angela Ponsford, actually leads the charge there and gets everybody really excited about this because this is an older book, but it's still relevant today in today's advertising, not only on Facebook, but also on Google. So without further ado, here is Mike. He'll be talking about how his good friend, Avinash, Kaushink, who is the Google digital evangelist, actually looks at this sort of in a different way. See, think, do, care, as opposed to the five levels of traffic, which I just described here. So Mike, Molly, take it away. How's it going, my friend? It is going pretty bloody well. I've been up since about 4 a.m. You're in Australia, so that's fun. I am. We're on the same island right now. On the same island. We got a hangout two weeks ago. That was lovely. It was very lovely. We ate some great food. I learned that you wear cargo shorts so that you can have a book in one pocket and a notebook in the other. (laughs) Wherever I go, all times of day and night. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Well, you didn't wake up early for us, but you've been up for a while. Your workday might be almost over here soon. As you guys can tell, I have the one and only Mr. Mike Rhodes if you guys don't know Mike Rhodes, and I didn't know this about you, Mike, until you spoke at James Franco's event. We both spoke at a few weeks ago in Sydney, which is where we had the opportunity to see each other. But Mike is in the top 18 top Google ads agencies in the world. In the world. That's pretty cool, my friends. I mean, obviously, I've always known that you know your stuff, but that just sounds so prestigious. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Mike is one of my best friends in the whole world. He's an amazing human, but he is also an expert when it comes to Google advertising. Mike, thanks so much for coming on today. All right. I'm going to start with, you're probably familiar with this old guy called Eugene Schwartz. My head of Facebook actually did a talk on this. Well, actually on you know Schwartz's levels of awareness at Digital Market Australia, Stephen Esk's event last month. I'm gonna say he stole this from me, but you know, <laughs> we'll see. But you're probably familiar with this. So this is this line down the bottom here, right? Eugene Schwartz had this framework of completely unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware, and most aware the level of awareness that somebody has for what you sell, the products and services that you sell. Now, this guy called Avinash Kaushink, who is Google's, I think they call him these days, their digital evangelist. I had the pleasure of speaking at the same event as him and our mutual friend Tom Breeze over in Moscow last year, which was amazing. But I had this like geeky fanboy moment of like asking to go to his green room. They gave us a (laughs) They gave us a green room each and a personal assistant each for the entire three days. That was kind of cool. So I went early because he kicked the whole thing off, keynoted at the first morning. So I said, please, can I go early? I want to see him. So I knock on the green room door and I sneak in and get a photo with my mate, Evan Ash, who's now my mate. Um, Of course, you took a picture together. So you're best friends now. (laughs) The internet works, isn't it? Um, This guy, if you ever get a chance to see him speak, even if you know nothing about Google, go see him. He is the most entertaining, lovely, lovely guy. I just love who he is as a parent as well. He just, yeah, the stuff he blogs about is is cool. Anyway, his framework is see, think, do, care. So it's very similar to Schwartz's. I actually asked him what the difference was, and he said, basically, this is a bit more customer-centric. This is thinking about them. Well, I went, well, this is kind of thinking about them too, but he's like, well, it's a bit more about your products and Anyway, we won't go there. But it's I'm like gonna. It's the same, but it's it, a little different. It's kind of, <laughs> right? It's kind of the same. And he uses marketing speak, like largest addressable qualified audience, which is not a term that I used very often. But you're thinking about, okay, this is everybody. This is the people with a little bit of intent. This is the people ready to do stuff. So lots of commercial intent. That's a phrase that we'd use when talking about Google Ads. They're ready to do stuff right now. And then care is the post-purchase bit. So people that have bought from you a couple of times or more, what are you doing there? And this is a similar thing to what you teach. I don't know, Ralph teaches, Trevor here teaches with sort of cold through to hot traffic and then also this repeat purchase traffic. So you can think of it that way too if you like cold, warm, hot and existing buyers. 
So basically, here's like the customer journey and you have taken the different types of Google ads because that's what's overwhelming to me about Google. I'm like, whoa, there's so many options here of what I can do. So if I'm understanding this correctly, you've taken those different types of ads and you've placed them where you would use them in the customer journey here. Yeah, Google is much more than just search. When people think of Google ads, they think of the little ads at the top of the SERPs. Oh, that's what Google ads are. Well, yeah, there's that. Plus there's remarketing, which obviously you're very familiar with if you're running Facebook ads. Shopping, which is one of the most profitable corners of the Google universe. And I know we've got a lot yeah, of e-com. It hasn't talked a lot about, I feel, or at no. least not from what I've seen. And I think it's because I had a conversation with the lovely Ken McCarthy about this last year. It's like, why are so few people teaching this stuff around you know, the detail of Google ads like this, like Google Shopping and so on? And I think it's because, one, it's much harder to teach because it's also much harder to get that quick win. If you follow how you train Facebook, someone's going to get a win inside of Facebook fairly quickly. Right. If they do everything that we tell them to and they do it right, there's still so many opportunities to mess up. There's so many little moving pieces. We've got GDN, which is Google Display Network, which is a network of over 2 million sites and a million apps. Stay away from apps. They're generally not profitable unless you're trying to market your own app. But I'm going to assume that that's probably 1%. So I'm not going to cover that at all. But GDN, Google Display and YouTube. And you've got Tom teaching a bunch of YouTube stuff. So I'm not going to go too heavy on that. You know, if we think about... I would say a lot of people here are very Facebook heavy, right? Mm -hmm. So they're running a good percentage of their traffic on Facebook. And so I think care is a good place to start because, you know, most of these people have customers. So when I look at Google or when I look at adding another traffic platform to my traffic system, I always want to start at the bottom of the funnel because I know that that's where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. Totally. And the, the mental image I've used for a, a decade on, on how to think about this is picture the archery target, right? So you've yeah. got a bullseye in the middle and you've got concentric circles building out to the archery target. This whole thing covers the whole archery target, but we want to start with the bullseye because that's where you're most likely to be profitable, most likely to get a win. And then once that's working, then you move out to the next concentric circle. You get that working, then you move grudgingly out further and further until it doesn't make any money anymore and then you come back in one and stop. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Makes a sense? great analogy. Cool. So the reason I was going to avoid this because it's kind of a geeky setting inside of Google Ads too. We're geeks. Okay. So <laughs> brand search. So there's really three types of keyword that you can choose. So we'll start with Google search and then get into the other stuff. This is changing because Google are copying a lot of what Facebook's doing in terms of thinking about audiences of people and the intent of those audiences. But obviously the big difference between Google and Facebook right now is that in Google, you get to choose keywords. Somebody is jumping onto Google, searching for something, and that something, that phrase that they use called a search query or a search term. So there's a subtle but important difference here. The search term is what they type into Google. A keyword is what we get to control and what we put in our account. And if the two are similar enough, the keyword acts like a magnet. And if the search query is similar enough to the keyword, it gets attracted by the keyword and your ad shows. If it's totally different, then your ad won't show. And there's three types of keyword. There's brand keywords, competitor keywords, and non-brand. So a brand for you would be Molly Pittman or Boom by Cindy or Team Traffic. A good example of this. So at Digital Marketer, we started running Facebook first. And then, you know, this was in 2013, probably. I don't know if it was through Hotjar or what it was, but we had the ability to record what people were doing on our pages. Like mm -hmm. they knew this was happening. It was legal, at least in the US. Not just heat maps, but actually getting to watch a recording of what they're doing on our pages. Yep. And so what I was noticing, we would have an ad for like a lead magnet or something. They would click over to the page. They would check it out. And then a lot of them were opening a new tab going to Google and typing in digital marketer, Ryan Dice, you know, Facebook ad library. So that is what you're talking about here. These branded keywords that if you're not bidding on these, you're kind of silly because yeah. <laughs> people are coming through Facebook and they're curious about you. They want to read reviews. They just want to search you. That's what we do as humans. So I just wanted to add, like, this was exactly where I started at DM 
adding in Google was just going for those brand keywords. It's the best place to start because it's the hardest to screw up. And it is, like we've already said, the most likely to be profitable. Now, there is an argument. I've just audited an account that's spending a few million dollars a year, and they've just experimented with turning their whole brand campaign off for a month because... And we've got other clients that are spending yeah, tens of thousands, maybe maybe six figures a month on their brand terms. And some bean counter is going to look at that and go, well, why are we spending that money? Hang on, we're bidding on our own name. They're looking for us. They're going to find us. We rank number one organically. Why are we spending all this money on our own brand? And there's a bunch of good reasons to do it. By all means, test it. You don't have to believe everything I say. Please don't believe everything I say. Go test, right? Everything needs to be tested. But generally, it's going to be very profitable to do so. And there is a perception of leadership. If you're the top organic result and there's an ad there as well, it's really, really obvious that you know your stuff. And by you running an ad, you're generally going to hide anybody else's ads because anybody can bid on anything. This is one of those sneaky little corners, I suppose, inside of Google that I could bid on the keyword Molly Pittman if I wanted to. I could bid on digital marketing. I, yeah, I, I, just might. I think there'll be a lot of quality traffic. <laughs> Larry, you know, but you can bid on anything you like. What I can't do is use those trademark terms in my ad copy, but I can bid on anything. I can bid on digital marketer and somebody searching for Ryan's site right now might see my ad, especially if they're not running brand ads. Because, you know, there's typically three or four ads above the organic search results. The organic results are often below the fold. You know, they're, they're that far down the first page, particularly on mobile, where an ad can take up the entire screen. Mm. So if you're not bidding on your brand, you're opening the door to three or four competitors to bid on your brand, which is typically a very cheap keyword to bid on. And they are effectively going to steal a bunch of your traffic because people are weird. People don't look at what they're clicking on half the time. They search and they click and they just assume they're in the right place. Mm -hmm. So you want to be very careful. I'm not suggesting you do go and bid on a whole bunch of other people, but this is the competitor thing. So my brand, I would put in my own campaign, all of my brand terms, microads, web savvy, agency savvy, and so on. If I was going to bid on, which I'm not going to, digital marketer or Polly Mittman or Perry Marshall or whatever it might be, then they would go into my competitor search campaign. And then non-brand, that's all the stuff that I do, products and services that I sell. So that might be if I'm selling washing machines, that's all of my washing machine terms. Now, this stuff, the non-brand terms, they're less likely to be profitable because people are looking for a solution, but they don't quite know what they're after yet. So right at the top end, problem aware, someone's searching for the term washing machine. Then they do a bit of research and they dig a bit deeper and they work out they want a front load washing machine and then they dig around a little bit more. But when they come back and search for something like buy Miele eight kilo front load washing machine, that's high intent. That's someone that knows exactly what they want and they're ready to do. They're ready to go buy straight away. So when you're doing your keyword research, you're just really thinking about what would people type in that are ready to buy right now? Start with the bullseye, make that profitable and grow out from there. But yeah, like you said, start with the brand stuff. Now, what this is, there's a way of combining your search campaigns. The most obvious one of those is your website visitors. So think of this as focus on these three campaigns here, brand competitor and non-brand. That's where we're going to start. And these are keyword based. So I've got a bunch of keywords, I've got a bunch of ads. Let's not worry yet about structure and how all of that is done because we're not going to teach in massive detail like you know the ins and outs of how to put all of this together because we won't get anything else covered. But you've got a bunch of keywords, a bunch of ads arranged in such a way that when someone searches for that stuff, they see your ad, they click, that's when you pay and they come to your website. Now what we can do is start to get funky with that. We can start to layer some other audiences over the top of these keyword campaigns. So we can say, hey, this person over here, they've been to my website in the past couple of weeks that audience of people I'm going to layer over the top and I want to bid more for them because, again, they're more likely to convert. They're more likely 
to be profitable. And Mike, you know what's interesting about Google versus Facebook, other than they're completely different platforms? I know that you heard me talk a bit about this uh, a few weeks ago at Tramco's event. You know, we do have the opportunity to like retarget the top 20% of people who have spent the most time on the site, right? Mm. And overlay that with this and like get really fancy and nerdy and very segmented with our marketing. But with Facebook, that can be really tough because it makes our audience sizes so small and the algorithm just can't work with that. But Google is very different. And Mm. I've noticed that that is not a problem with Google. And I'm not sure. I mean, it has to be the way that the algorithms are functioning and just that the platforms are inherently different because people use them in a different way. But I just want to address that mindset shift for people here that are, you know, used to running Facebook ads that might look at that and say, wow, that's very complex, but complexity or this like real intense segmentation actually does work on Google. It's because of intent. And I haven't really thought about this before, but what you're saying about the Facebook algorithm, the way that works, it's machine learning, right? It needs data. Data is the fuel for machine learning and therefore it needs a number of people acting in a similar way in order to make some decisions about them. With Google, what you're saying is the the biggest signal here is the keyword. Mm -hmm. If they're searching for buy eight kilo front load melee washing machine, there may not be many people searching for that, but they're all going to be acting in a very similar way. And Google knows this over, you know, 15 plus years of doing this. That's super, super high intent. And yeah, okay, there may only be 10 people a day searching for that. But, but you we want get, those 10 people. want to get an ad from <laughs> 10 of those every single time. So we're talking about layering audiences over the top. So you can layer an audience of website visitors. So someone that's recently been to your site, you can layer an audience of buyers. If you've got an email list of everyone that's bought from you, assuming that you're going to make repeat purchases. If you're selling garage doors, you don't want to do this, right? Not many people buy two garage doors from the same website. Funny that. If you're in fast fashion or you're selling supplements or something like that, then this email list, lay it over the top and you're bidding more for these people because you're saying, hey, these are people more likely to buy. And when we get down here to talk about in-market, that's some other funky stuff that you can layer over the top of search, but we'll save that. Remarketing, I think this audience is very, very familiar with what remarketing is. What you may not realize, though, is there's loads of different places that you can show your remarketing ads. So you can combine remarketing with search, but all you're doing is showing the same search ad. You're just bidding higher for people on your remarketing list or your remarketing audience. Once we move down here to the blue section, we're showing a completely different type of ad. These are now ads that are going to be seen all across the web. So YouTube and Gmail are obvious. That little G stands for Gmail. Google-owned properties, but if somebody is on there, you can say, hey, Google, remember this person? They came to my site. They haven't bought yet. They've left. They've wandered off. Figure out who they are. Follow them around and show them these ads, please. So I'm sure Tom, when he's on, will talk about YouTube remarketing. Gmail is, I think, the largest free email service used by over a billion people a month, and you can put ads inside of Gmail. You would have seen those the two little lines usually across the top of your inbox that look just like emails. And then when you click on that, you see essentially like a landing page. You're still inside a Gmail and you see what it looks like a big landing page. You can put videos in there. You can put products in there, all kinds of stuff. We won't go into massive detail unless somebody really, really wants to. A cool example of this, I didn't set the campaign up, so I don't know exactly how it was done tactically. But after we got those branding keywords sorted, you know, at Digital Marketer, The next campaign that we set up was interesting. So somehow what we were trying to sell at the moment was an email marketing course. Mm -hmm. And so we started bidding on people who were receiving emails through Gmail from MailChimp, AWeber, Active Campaign, all of the top email service providers because we knew they were actively doing email marketing. And I'm pretty sure we overlaid people who had also visited our website so they were familiar with the brand. But just to give it, that was the second campaign that we moved to with our Google strategy. And that was very effective. I'm pretty sure they're still doing that today. 
And if you've done all the work up here to work out who your competitors are, so in your competitor search campaign, we did some work with a big weight loss app in the States recently. And so, you know, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig. So we'd bid up here, we'd bid on weightwatchers.com as well as weight space watchers, weight watchers app, you know, all those types of keywords. Well, take all of that information that you've done and go stick it. Now, really, we're talking about running display campaigns. This is remarketing. You can use all of that research and go target people that, yeah, are probably getting emails. They've changed this a bit recently. It used to be the fact that Google would read the contents of your emails. And so you could target certain keywords and you'd know that essentially they're getting emails about that topic. Google now say, look, we won't read the contents of your emails. But it was, a, I think, a carefully written update because it didn't say anything about who the emails are coming from. I'm fairly sure they're still looking at that. Oh, right. They're just not reading the context or the content. Yeah. <laughs> word in there because people got freaked out about that. And like, what do you mean Google's reading my emails? It's like, it's just a machine. It doesn't understand. But yeah. remarketing is, yeah, typically the second campaign that will suggest people do, especially when they're learning. Again, kind of hard to mess up. Now, here you do need a little bit of volume. You need a little bit of traffic. Yeah, you're going to need a minimum of 100 people on your remarketing list before you start showing them ads. It isn't going to start spending any money until you get up well over a thousand. Typically, sort of I'd aim for around 5,000 as a, as a minimum. So if you've only got a trickle of traffic coming through your website, don't worry about remarketing. Focus on getting more traffic to your website first. Do some Facebook marketing, set up your brand campaign, get that stuff going first before you do remarketing. What CM stands for is customer match, which is Google's not very intuitive at all, naming convention for your email list. So if you've got an email list, you can load that up and say, hey, Google. So it's not just customers. <laughs> no, not just customers. It's any emails that you have. Big prospect lists are really, really good. Load that in and say, Google, figure out who these people are. You know which emails they use to sign up with which accounts. You know what they're doing. I'm like, Google knows everything. Let's face it, right? They know where those people are. And you're saying, figure it out. Go show them ads. And... Google's version of lookalike audiences is called similar audiences. It's not near as powerful as Facebook. We don't have that option of 1%, 5%, 10% like you do on Facebook, but it's improving. They made some big changes to the algorithm last year. It is improving. I met one of the main engineers on similar audiences a year and a half ago. That was quite cool to see what they're working on, which I'm not allowed to talk about, sorry, but <laughs> some cool stuff that's coming there. It's worth trying, but it's not what we do straight away. So again, you get your remarketing and your customer match stuff working, and then you might go test similar audiences. Let's talk about shopping because that is one of the most profitable campaigns that you can run. The stats are kind of hard to come by from Google on this, but I saw some research recently that said in Q4, and this is, I think, old stats, 2017. I don't think there's been an update yet for 2018. Q4, traffic-wise, 71% of non-brand, so the difference between these brand ads and shopping ads, 71% of paid click were happening on shopping ads. So customers love them. You've seen these, you do a search for something like, you know, front load melee washing machine. And sometimes across the top, usually down the right hand side, you'll see five, six, nine ads with a little picture, a price and a little short description. That's a shopping ad. They've gone through a bunch of name changes and a whole bunch of changes to the way the platform works. But that's essentially how it works right now. You have a, let's say Shopify site. You take that feed, which is a list of all your products. And you want to send that over to Google so you can start running shopping ads. And there's a halfway house for data that sits in between. It's called Google Merchant Center. So you have to send your product information into Google Merchant Center. That kind of cleans and washes the data, approves some or most of your products. And then that sends the products over to Google. And then you have to set up a campaign there to run shopping ads. I know it's kind of complicated, right? Yeah, that sounds um, like a lot of work. <laughs> why people don't do it. And we've actually been working with Shopify and Google direct recently because the amazing team who sit over there have worked out how some of Shopify's tracking was wrong and they've been teaching Shopify and Google how to fix their system so that it tracks properly which is mind-blowing to me and Google want to do a case study on us which is kind of cool That's so amazing. that'll be a nice battling for the SEO guys to get stuck into honestly it's so complicated that we're just going to start offering that as a service because we've got it down to a fine art I sat with my head 
dev for two hours and said, explain dynamic remarketing to me. Explain how I, as a Shopify user, would go and put this code on my site. And we tried to, you know, create the decision tree, that, that map of, do I use Google Tag Manager or not? How many products do I have? Am I already, like, it was, we didn't get there in two hours. We, we weren't able to map this stuff out. It's in her head. She knows it, but there are so many different pieces to this. And you need to know code to do it, to set up dynamic remarketing, which are the ads that follow you around with the exact product you've just been looking. You were looking at that particular washing machine or the purple Play-Doh or the wine glasses, and then those ads with those exact same products follow you around. What do you call them in Facebook? DPAs? Yeah, dynamic product ads. Right. So the code to set that up is complicated. Don't mess with it. I learned to code a long time ago, probably before Molly was born. That's how <laughs> I, but, but I ain't going there because my JavaScript is not up to scratch. So hire someone that knows how to code to set that up. Um, yeah, we're going to offer that as a service, but I'm not here to pitch services. But do shopping ads. If you're e-com, please, for the love of all that is good and holy, run some shopping ads. Yes, it's complicated to get set up, but once you get it set up, it is almost certainly going to make you money. So many people, especially when we go to TNC, there are so many people there that are only on Facebook and many of them are, you know, six figure a month Facebook spends. Some of them have never heard of Google Shopping, never mind not running them. It right. is Which is just, funny because most of oh, us have experienced it as a consumer, but don't think of it as an ad, you know? It's, it, yeah, it's just, it's odd. Especially odd. for e-com. And then we've got display and YouTube. So again, the Google display network is this vast, vast thing of 2 million sites, everything from Oprah.com and ESPN, all the way down to tiny little blogs and forums that you or I have never heard of, but Google knows where they are. And there are more popping up all the time. I did a consulting call with a couple of guys from Baby Bathwater last week, and they have an incredible tool that has all of this Amazon data. And they showed me some of this data. There are people out there with these immense blogs with like 3 million uniques a month coming through. And all they do to make money is these little Amazon affiliate links. And there's, there's so much more they could be doing. But many people will monetize these blogs by sticking these Google heads on. So they create a yep. space on their site and they say, hey, Google, stick an ad on there. What ad? I don't know. You figure it out. So when we visit those sites, when you go to livestrong.com next time, which maybe people don't go to anymore because Lance, huh, you're part of the world, Colorado, and everyone. <laughs> just, but when you go to Oprah.com, in that moment where that page loads, Google is saying, what do I know about this person that's just landed on my site? How many remarketing lists is Molly on? Who wants to show an ad to Molly? And then it's between all of those advertisers picking an ad to stick in that space on the page. And if that person clicks the ad, then you pay Google as an advertiser a little bit of money. Really quick, Mike, a question. I've been wanting to bid on competitors, but I'm not sure how to do this without hurting my score. Okay, so there's a thing called a quality score. So that's a number from one to 10 that every keyword in your account gets assigned and it gets assigned essentially based on relevance. So it's very similar to Facebook's relevance score, which is where Facebook stole it from. And there's a whole bunch of elements that go into this. But essentially, if you're bidding on the keyword digital marketer, but your ad doesn't mention digital marketer. And then when someone clicks that, they go to a landing page and that doesn't mention digital marketer because you don't want to get, you know, arrested for deceptive and misleading advertising. So fair enough. Then Google is looking at that and going, well, hang on a minute. There's not much relevance here. They were searching for this, the keyword match, but then the ad and the landing page, this chain of relevance it isn't really there. And so you get a lower score. You're typically going to get a quality score of around probably three or four for most of your competitor keywords. What the quality score does is it controls kind of two things. It controls how much you're going to pay for each click and how often your ad is going to show. So a lower score means you're going to pay more for each click and your ad isn't going to show as often. But you don't really care. So with your competitor keywords, you're just going to test a few and you're going to test your biggest competitors. What some of our clients have done is go that extra step and make the landing page be a comparison between you and the competitor. So if I was active campaign and I was bidding on HubSpot, I would build out a whole page to compare active and HubSpot. And now there is relevance. So that's going to help my quality score come up. But you want to know first, before you go to that level of effort, you want to know that there's plenty it. of traffic and if it's worth doing because, you know, resources are always limited. 
Yeah. So start bidding on a few. Don't worry too much about quality score. Like that's a guide. It's a signpost that kind of says, mm, Google not quite happy, but just ignore that and see if you can make it work. See sort of what volume of traffic there is. Is it vaguely profitable? Is it worth tipping a bit of extra time and effort into? Or is it just hugely unprofitable? In which case, that's all right. Most experiments don't work. Kill it and yeah. move on. Great answer. It's similar to Facebook's relevance score. You know, if you have a nine or a 10, your costs are going to be low and you're going to get a ton of reach. But if you have a two <laughs> and the campaign is still working from a return on ad spend standpoint, that's okay. Right. So same concept. Very interesting. So how do you target competitors when Google wants the keyword actually mentioned in your ad? So yeah, with that, you generally don't, particularly if it's a trademark. Even if it's not a trademark, be very, very wary using that competitor name in your ad because deceptive and misleading advertising is a thing, right? So there's Google's law and then there's the law of the land. So there's a, it's not a trick, it's, it's, it's well known, but it's a, it's a way of writing headlines in particular called dynamic keyword insertion, DKI. And you can use these little squiggly brackets. And if you're being lazy with your ad writing, you're basically saying, hey, Google, grab the keyword, stick it in my ad, and then here's the rest of the ad. And so people do it because they think it's a way to generate loads of different ads very, very easily. Don't use those for your competitor campaigns because it's going to grab the competitor name, it's going to stick it in the ad, and it's going to make you look like you are that competitor. So be Which careful. Which be very confusing. <laughs> and, and, and we'll probably get you a cease and desist letter too from somebody's lawyer. And look, our clients have got cease and desist letters in the past just for bidding on competitor keywords. I will typically have a conversation with a client first of saying, look, this is a thing. It's kind of a gray area. You don't have to do it. There's nothing illegal about this. It's within the bounds of what Google considers absolutely fine. But some industries, certainly back in the day when Google Ads was new, had a sort of a bit of a, a gentleman's agreement of, look, we won't bid on your name, you don't bid on ours, and everybody carry on. For the most part, that's kind of gone away now. Most people are going to go, it works, we're going to do it. We're doing it. Fair yeah. game. This is called Fair digital game. marketing. And then would you keep those competitor keywords in separate campaigns? Absolutely, yeah. Brand, yeah. competitor, and non-brand. They're your three main buckets. Sometimes your non-brand campaigns, you might have multiple non-brand campaigns. Yeah, if you sell doors and windows and shower screens, you probably put those in three different campaigns because the CPA is probably going to be different for those three very different types of product or types of service that you might offer. But yeah, definitely separate them out. Great. And the same thing with Facebook. When in doubt, separate, create a new campaign. You know, we've talked a lot about retargeting and getting more out of the traffic that we already have. Broadly, what are your recommendations for people that are looking for cold traffic? We know the types of campaigns based off of the document that you produce, but any other thoughts around that, Mike? I think with cold, the most important thing is the offer. So there's a guy who As I'm with Facebook. <laughs> so looking forward to talking to a guy who you probably know. I haven't met him face to face yet. Travis Sago or Travis Sago. Uh -uh. Uh, he doesn't fly. I'm much told he's in Arkansas, I believe. I'm chatting to him in a couple of weeks about some stuff. Really, really looking forward to that. I'm told people in Arkansas don't fly. He's the <laughs> says the Kentucky girl. <laughs> what most people do is they have one idea. And they have one offer and I'll keep it lead gen for now, but let's say it's the, the old PDF in exchange for email address, right? And they'll fill around the edges and they'll test all of these different methods of targeting and try, oh, smart bidding versus manual and all these different things. And way I've got four different ads now. I'm testing all these different ad creative, but they never, ever, ever test the offer. Now, by definition, all this cold traffic, particularly once we start talking display and YouTube, they weren't searching you out. So this is quite kind of different with search campaigns, obviously, because we know from the search term they're using what the intent is. But display, it's interruption marketing. They bumped into your ad somehow, some reason. They were similar to someone that was on your remarketing list. <laughs> Molly's just catching up with everybody. You're a billboard. You're like, hey, um, <laughs> that's what I meant by that. <laughs> I should use my words. <laughs> <laughs> interruption marketing at its finest, right? So... They weren't looking for that. And we all assume that, oh, we're just going to drop them into the same old lander as all this other traffic and they will just buy. You know, I've seen display traffic go straight to the form, for God's sake. People are not ready for that. You know, it's like, come on in. 
come and sit by the fire. Let's sit here and have a little chat. Let's warm up. And the best possible thing you can do is to test different offers. So for the person asking about shopping, that's hard, right? Like sort of cold. Like like for e-com, you know, like with Facebook, Ezra uses a pre-sale article, you know, $100,000 over a month or so went to this pre-sale article. Would you use something like that? And and, and would he have done that? in month one or even year one, hell no. Right, right. right? exactly, exactly. You're gonna, you work your way out to the edges of the archery target, which is now what we're talking about. We're talking about the last ring on the archery target. I don't know, if you're just shooting an arrow trying to hit that last ring, real easy to miss the entire <laughs> archery target and kill the horse in the next paddock behind. It's tricky. It's tricky to get right. But yes, you might test avatars. You might test a free plus shipping offer or a pay-what-you-want kind of offer. We had a client that sold these little necklaces with like your kid's initial engraved and look couldn't make that work giving away a 29 dollars piece of jewelry probably cost 10 cents in china but giving it away for free and then i don't know what it was nine bucks 15 bucks or something for shipping but you've got to test a bunch of offers you can't assume that the first offer you're going to try is going to work and now it's just a question of which targeting do i use to make this offer work test the offer that's i know i'm repeating myself especially for e-com like what offers do you see work the best with your clients well i mean apart from that, yeah, <laughs> and, you, and you start with everything else and you work your way grudgingly up to that and many times with google you won't get the level because facebook is generally cheaper still i mean that's changed a like, lot Five times cheaper still. Yeah. And generally it's kind of what doubled over the past year or so. It's different in every niche, but it's still way cheaper. So if you insist on, I must have this cold traffic, start there. Like don't force Google to work because I've seen someone else make this work. But you can use, you know, these spy tools. Adbeat.com is one of my favorites. And you can go look at what competitors are doing. It's online, right? It's transparent. Go look at their lander. Look at their offer. Reverse engineer some of the stuff that they're doing. Don't copy blindly. That was my talk the other day about the cargo cult, right? People just copy stuff blindly in the hope that this is going to work. We believe these gifts from the gods are magically going to appear. And they don't. I mean, even with Boom, Mike, we're still just retargeting on Google. It's still a high ad spend and it works really well. But... It can be very tough. And this is me coming in as a, I don't run Google ads, but it's going to be a lot tougher to get cold traffic to work on Google than Facebook. I mean, that's just... We run a lot of GDN for as back in the day. He had got like his in-house person doing it and then came to us when they were spending, I don't know, 20 grand a month or something and said, look, I just want you guys to run it for like three months, get it working, then we'll take it back. And it worked so well that he ended up like leaving it with us for about a year and a half before he finally got around to take it back because it got up to about 90, 100 grand a month, I think, profitably. And he was like, okay, wasn't expecting that. Keep going, keep going. Good job. Until they were. were. (laughs) But that's a really good offer. And Boom connects with its audience very well. It also does a ton of other stuff around that traffic to make that traffic work. Dice talks about this all the time in terms of cost per pixel. You might just be thinking about, I just want to get people there so I can cookie them, so I can pixel them, so I can add them to my remarketing list, and then I'm going to make the remarketing campaigns work, but I don't expect those. We've got a client at the moment that's, um, I've just spent about 30 grand creating some YouTube ads, and they've probably spent maybe only 50 grand or so, so far and over the past three months running YouTube traffic. And their CPA is around about, I think, 1700 bucks. Now, to put that in context, profitable search is around about 500 bucks. Most of their search runs at about 250 bucks. So 1700 on the face of it, does not look profitable. And the client is saying, what are we doing? But if we look at the charts for the other campaigns search, it's in lockstep with the YouTube spends. The number of people searching for the brand is going up. The number of conversions from search is going up. The same with the YouTube spend. So we have to start being marketers and start looking at the whole picture and how these things interact and a bunch of stuff that isn't measurable. If Google and Facebook can't solve the attribution problem, we ain't going to be able to do that. And yet our clients have sort of been trained, hey, this digital thing, it's so trackable. I want to track everything down to the cent. Hang on a minute. Five years ago, you were doing radio and TV and billboards and you didn't track a thing. Yeah. You spent a bunch of money based on a percentage of revenue. We're, and you we're spoiled. Working. I think that's a good point. When you're looking at Google and YouTube, 
again, back to Digital Marketer, we were able to get YouTube to work very well to cold traffic at a very reasonable price. And so we had Facebook and YouTube really working to acquire all of this interest. And Google's in the back end here, just helping us monetize and retarget. And so we'll have Tom Breeze on here next month to talk more about YouTube. But I think that's another good way to think about it. Mike. All right, my friend. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate it as always. You are amazing, my friend. And enjoy your lunch. I will. Bye, guys. Talk soon. So hope you guys enjoyed that. I know that I certainly did. Mike is super smart. And looking at that from a Google perspective and also understanding how important it is for those most aware and product aware markets, that's just sales you can just scoop up immediately. If you don't have great SEO exposure for your branded terms, definitely consider getting Google ads at the top of the search or bidding at the top of the search for those specific keyword phrases, because that is just money that's just waiting out there for you, especially if you're running a fair amount of Facebook ads. Certainly check out Mike and his agency at WebSavvy at websavvy.com.au, as well as check out the show notes here at digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 206. Until next week, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.